This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to The Humane Podcast. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and you are listening to Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to the show. So welcome back, listeners, to the Humane Podcast. Today, our guest is Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President. We're having a special session where we're talking about how Brooklyn is responding to COVID-19 around PPP, around PPE specifically, and the services and systems to help all New Yorkers during the crisis in New York City. I've been in New York for about five years, everywhere living from Queens to Brooklyn to now Manhattan, and we are living in unprecedented times. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on Humane. Thank you. You know, we've been seeing so much here at Ground Zero. New York has been the epicenter in the United States for COVID. And there's been a response that we've seen the response from all the boroughs with technology around COVID. In your experience, what are you seeing around the city today for the response? Well, as I stated uh, often, when I talk about the running of cities, big cities, we have to shift how we run cities. And we were able historically to get away with the dysfunctionalities of cities. You know, cities, traditionally, they would feed a crisis and then they will have an agency that will respond to the crisis. And I thought that in the next 20 years, as we evolved into computer learning and artificial intelligence, uh, that we had to change how we run cities so we can keep pace with that. A little did I know that it was going to be expedited through COVID-19. COVID-19, it is my belief that it exposed the dysfunctionalities of how we're using antiquated method to run cities in a modern day and a modern age. The real fact that we're not addressing COVID-19 in real time with real data and real on the ground response is really exposing uh, the dysfunctionality of our large cities. And I'm seeing that day to day 
everything from our slow response uh, to areas where we have high number and high number of tests that we need to do and we're not doing uh, to the uh, oversaturation of emergency rooms, ICUs, the lack of PPEs on the ground, no real system in place to ensure that they're in the right location. And so I am seeing how our cities across America in general and specifically uh, here in New York, how we are just not prepared to see how do you run cities in the 21st century. And although we've seen that there's a lot of response, a lot of working to work better together, I think we're now starting to see that with technology transformation. We're starting to see some of that governing in real time. As we know, our governor, uh, Cuomo, has his daily briefings where we're seeing a lot of data coming out. And the data is showing potentially good signs. Of course, it's early to tell, but the progress seems to be good. You know, from your experience, particularly as the Brooklyn Borough President, You know, we hear a lot in the news about Queens and Manhattan, but we don't hear a lot about Brooklyn. How is Brooklyn doing with the response around COVID-19? And it's so important what you just indicated that uh, the preliminary numbers, which are far from being the overall picture, uh, they're showing that we seem to be stabilizing a little. We had an increase in deaths, but the hospital admissions, uh, those numbers seem to be different. But the real question asked when you dig into the numbers is that are we having a disproportionate uh, negative impact in certain communities? When you look at the term of essential employees, over 70% of the essential employees are black and brown people. We sent many of them out to drive our trains, the 311 system, to fill our grocery stores, to do all of these essential tasks that those of us who can telecommute did not have to do. But did we give them the equipment that's needed? And so when we see the decrease or the increase, uh, are we talking about specific populations? Over 60% of the people who die from coronavirus are black and brown. When we talk about the communication, uh, every day the mayor, the governor, and the president, they do briefings on uh, coronavirus. Uh, But let's be clear, uh, everyone does not wake up in the morning and run and get to New York Times and listen to a briefing from the governor or the mayor. We use different methods to communicate with people in different languages. I'm happy to hear that the mayor has finally acknowledged this, and now he's going to do a a multi-language communication to people on the ground in their different ethnic mediums and ethnic ways of communication, and really using the system we use for the census data collection and information, we need to use it to communicate with people on the ground. And that is so important. New York is not an English-speaking only city and state. We need to communicate with people where they are, not where we are. And we can't talk in the echo chamber. If we don't, we're not going to reach everyone. Now, reaching everyone is about a lot of languages. And I know for our audience here, Eric, we've had the chance to talk about AI and technology prior to COVID-19 and about the great things we want to do for the city of New York and the state of New York. But looking more immediate at a micro level here today, we are seeing some technology startups that are excelling, that are helping our entire ecosystem. You called out food services. We're seeing online delivery with companies like Grubhub, Fresh Direct, Uber Eats that are offering contactless services to help each and every New Yorker have services that are not disrupted or uninterrupted. And it's throughout all the boroughs. But as you mentioned, there's a disproportionate number of minorities and other groups of people who are not 
you know, part of these online services. One initiative that we've seen a lot of traction with in the last couple of weeks is New York City's launched initiatives for free food for all New Yorkers. Um, in fact, the three free meals a day. Can you share with our audience a little bit more about that? It's a good program and it's a smart program. We were really addressing uh, the three meals grabbing go program at our schools that really focus on our student population. We're shifting that thought and with the understanding that there are a large number of people who uh, don't have uh, students in school, but they too are dealing with issues around meals. And this new program is really opening to people who are in need of a meal, who can't uh, travel far to their community, and they would be able to actually get the meals. And we we are encouraging people to take advantage of this. But it also showed what we were able to speak with the governor's office uh, to do, and that was to use the uh, telemedicine and telecommunication. We have a large number of people in the city who are seniors, and they're part of that vulnerable population that should not be traveling. They should be really uh, staying in place. But they attended for many years they attended what's called adult daycare centers. When those adult daycare centers were no longer able to remain open because the seniors were not coming in, we reached out to the Department of Health and to the governor's offices we should be using telecommuting. Telecommunication, uh, telemedicine, teleinteraction. Number one is teaching our seniors how now to be introduced into the technology. And two, it allows you that check-in that's needed. Many deaths that we're hearing about are people who live alone, they're dying alone, they're in their apartments, and no one is checking in on them. And now we're using technology in a good way to actually communicate, deal with the loneliness, give out information, and help people through this difficult period. You know, we've been seeing at Round Zero here in New York that technology is helping out all people at different levels. And we're going to dive deeper in the show about how that's impacting education and other vulnerable populations. But first and foremost, we know as being technologists and in the government system that change is the only constant. It's an opportunity for growth, both for consumers and businesses. Although it can seem very shocking and disrupting in the short term, there is a lot of opportunity, I think, for New York State and New York City to move forward in digital transformation. In fact, I think that when New York functions better as a city, that means America functions better as a country. In the past, you've used the phrase, you've shared that we are in a fishbowl together. Can you share with our audience what you mean by that? Well, I believe you are you are correct in stating uh, it's clear the way goes New York goes the country, the way goes the country goes the globe. Our influence really impacts the entire globe. And here in the city, we're in a fishbowl in that we all live together. Coronavirus is showing this, us that. Uh, when I shared a train with you, our major uh, forms of transportation in the city, public transportation, my sneeze impacts you. And your health care will impact my health as well. And so now we have to rethink um, what we're doing in our major corporations. How do we continue a feeder system of well-trained, well-educated educated employees uh, for the future? How do we make sure that they're trained with some of the skills that are needed for tomorrow? Critical thinking, communication, the rote learning system is so antiquated. How do we start going after the agrarian calendar that allows our students to be off two months in the entire uh, school year, and they have that summer slide, and they're not prepared. We need to start understanding that 
we are no longer in this distant office space removed from everyone else. We're in this together and we need to make sure that our educational systems are producing a great young people that can fill many of the jobs that are coming online. We need to be prepared for the future and we're all in this together. Our technology, the technologies that we use must be part of preparing our future employee pool and how do we run this city in an effective way. And running the city is a combination of consumers and businesses, or often called private-public partnerships. Digital transformation, we often see it starting with enterprises, and then it trickles down to the consumers. And this digital transformation, you've also coined as a dawning moment for New York City. We've seen it a lot with our daily lives. For example, you've been involved in many years, not only with government, but also with the church system in New York. What are some of the changes you're seeing in your communities around digital transformation? You know, oftentimes, particularly the population that was less likely to use technology, our senior population, this is a moment of where uh, you are now compelled to embrace the technology that's available. And we're seeing that. If a senior who's living alone now would like to see their grandchildren, they're going to have to learn how to use WebEx or Zoom or Skype. If you want to order your food out now, now it's an opportunity to walk your, your parents or your grandparents through uh, Uber Eats or some of the other online delivery services. So the reluctancy that a non-crisis allowed us to sit in the state of this is the way we've always done it, uh, that has changed. Uh, now you must not learn new methods of communicating, of getting access to services, and it is compelling us to go beyond our comfort zone, which is a good thing um, when you examine that, because without this crisis, uh, people were not likely uh, to make that evolution from where they were to where they need to move to. You know, we often see, especially in the technology industry, that we are a mobile first society where we're using our tablets, our phones, our computers. And we've said we've been in person second, but now it's no longer just the tech industry. Everyone is mobile first, in person second. And part of that is around the education system. We know that all New Yorkers in the middle school, the high school, the entire public school system are studying remote. They're using the software that you've mentioned, Eric. Uh, They're using Zoom and Microsoft Team Meetings and WebEx. And it's a lot of learning and it's distance learning. Traditionally, I know a lot of schools have been reluctant to go online, but we've seen some promising early results. We've seen more engagement with different students. We've seen the opportunity to like level the playing field with equity and inclusion. What are some of the hopes that you see with online education in these times? It has been really exciting. I I have held a series of communications with some principals and teachers who are saying for the first time with they're seeing some of their students uh, that have traditionally not interacted, not uh, participated in the classroom. Many of them were dealing with either physical impairments or uh, some emotional impairments. And now they are very much engaged. And many young people who were unable to get physically in the classroom for one reason or another now are able to use this space uh, to actually be a part of classrooms and not missing uh, days. And so it's imperative that we ensure the infrastructure build out because we still have those vulnerable students who are in homeless shelters or in temporary housing 
We need to make sure they have the devices and the technology that they can remain engaged. So this is showing us where we need to go with our technology to do deal with distant learning. And then other piece here that's important to me is that we can now extend this learning throughout the, again, the summer months. Even if students do one or two hours uh, during the school year, uh, that is an exciting thought. And so we are excited where distant learning is going to take us and continue to evolve. You know, one initiative that's been out for the last few years that I think that has accelerated distance learning for all New Yorkers is the Link NYC initiative. I know we've seen it in the last few years. Now there are hundreds of these stations in all the boroughs providing free uh, Wi-Fi meshes all across the city. So often in the news, we're hearing that there is not access to Wi-Fi, but I think we're soon going to be in a state where Wi-Fi will be available for all New Yorkers. All New Yorkers will be able to use their mobile devices or even devices that will move in the next few years with um, other you know, new technology like XR, VR, AR. But some of that's still early stage. And I think, as you mentioned, now is an opportunity to allow you know, students to learn at their cadence. And so some of those will excel more in online by going to more advanced material and others can get more of that one-on-one attention that they typically would not get in the classroom. So I think it's going to provide a lot of opportunity. On the other end, we can also talk about the high school system and the college system. We know in the last uh, couple of weeks, the GMAT and GREs have gone online. We've even heard that the region's exams have been temporarily postponed or canceled. And although this is very challenging, I'm sure for a lot of parents who have their children in the school system today, I think it can create a lot of opportunity to embrace technology and to also know that we are more than just a number. We are more than just a test or exam. So true. And as we build out, the more we build out using the free Wi-Fi, and it should be a right in all communities, uh, the more we learn where our gaps are. And I think it's important to do a GIS, GIS mapping of the entire city so we can see where we are and where we need to expand to. We can't stay in just affluent communities. Uh, we need to make sure every NYCHA development uh, has f- full access, every homeless shelter, every community uh, should be part of the build out. And the only way you could do that is to have the full scope of where you are and where you need to go should be in front of you and have plans of continue to build out. Just as we pave roads, we need to pave our city with access to uh, real accessibility to Wi-Fi. And we're seeing um, access to technology happening all across the board in New York City. There's a lot of resources that have been sprung up in, in the last just few weeks, including from Tech NYC. They've shared a lot of resources that what are a lot of startups doing today to bridge the gap, to offer free resources for New Yorkers, whether you're a small business owner, whether you're in technology now. They have this resource guide, which we'll be sharing in the show notes that talk about tips and takeaways that every New Yorker can learn, not only around PPE, but what resources are available from the city and federal government. You know, I think one of the big initiatives that we've seen heralded very well in New York is the New York City Tech Coronavirus Task Force as well, and one of over 500 technologists in New York City that were working together to centralize communication, working and bridging the gap with our local city and federal government resources. I've never seen such mobilization since a long time, right? And I wasn't even in New York 
in 9-11. But Eric, you were, and I'd love to hear your story with our audience about what was New York mobilization back then and what are we seeing today? It's amazing how we mobilized. I was a lieutenant in the police department at the time of when two planes not only struck and took down our towers, but it also took down our economy. We went into a terrible state when Mayor Bloomberg came into office. We had almost a $48 billion budget deficit. And the rebuilding process really started on September 12th. Unlike the coronavirus, where the rebuilding process is going to take a longer period of time because the strike is a longer period of time. It's not a one-day strike. It is imperative that as we go through this crisis, we're thinking about how do we rebuild in the meantime? How do we look at this new norm that we are going to embrace? And how do we build our city to be smarter, wiser, and stronger to be prepared for any type of onslaught of this magnitude again? And after 9-11, Mayor Bloomberg did an amazing job um, coming off of Mayor Giuliani's interaction of the city and just went into a stage of rebuilding, rebuilding our infrastructure. The Wagner uh, College of uh, Technology over on Roosevelt Island, you know, some of the other initiatives that were put in place really fed our uh, technology industry. Here in Brooklyn, in a short period of time, we had a 356% growth and a new tech startups in this borough. And that was all fed by the seeds that Mayor Bloomberg planted. And we need to continue to plant those seeds as we respond in this crisis that we're dealing with now. And so let's segue that topic to the response for startups and businesses. We've seen on the federal and state level, a ton of resources coming out in the last few weeks, all bundled under what's known as the CARES Act. There's been a lot of resources coming out there, and some of them are very specific to New York City businesses and to consumers here. Some of them that I can share with our listeners today, we have the New York City Employee Retention Grants. We also have the 90-Day Mortgage Relief and Moratorium on Evictions and some other ones. I'd love to walk through some of these high level for those who are business owners. So the employee retention grants as a first and foremost, this is for New York City that um, basically talks about that if you're willing to retain your employees, the city is willing to offer you the opportunity for your business to continue to grow and to be part of that economy. And what they're doing is bridging the gap on payroll. I think actually from all the resources coming out, this is one of the most exciting ones that I've seen from the New York City government. What's your take on the New York City Employee Retention Grant Program? A great program because, you know, as you know, uh, many jobs that are being impacted, they're going to lose employees. And if you hold on to your employees through this program for a particular period of time, you are able to take the benefits of this program. So it's important as we get back in gear and move from a shelter in place to uh, running the city again, everything from restaurants to small shops. It gives us an opportunity to rehire. And I think this is a great program. Hats off uh, to the city for instituting this. Excellent. And for everyone who's listening live or offline for the podcast, we'll be sharing these resources available later so you can check them out and make sure that 
Um, you get in your applications for those who qualify for the different programs. Other ones that exist include the 90-day mortgage relief for moratorium on evictions. I know a lot of consumers are concerned if they are furloughed from work, if they can continue to pay their rent or what that looks like. In the last few days, that 90-day moratorium on evictions was just expanded for another six months. So now it's nine months of that moratorium. So I think we're seeing a lot of proactive response from the governance in real time. You know, thinking of all of practical tips and strategies for everyone who's listening today to Humane, in your experience and in what your government's doing today, represent Eric Adams, what are some other tips and strategies you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I want to go back to the the moratorium also, if I may. I think it's important right now, the moratorium is on one and two family houses. I think we need to expand it a little further and we need to add to that utility payments as well as I believe we should do a a 90-day moratorium on rents as well as long as it's matched together with the moratorium on mortgage payments. And we propose something for our tenants and landlords to make a deal where they can return the month's security uh, that tenants normally pay. This this would allow an $8 billion infusion of money into our economy, which is much needed, and it could assist in stabilizing. So the goal is give a three-month period of stabilization. Uh, One month could be the return of the month security uh, to tenants that can pay it later. The second is a three-month moratorium for mortgages and rents. That would give us four months where we can ride out this crisis and the largest really payment that we make as New Yorkers normally lies in our rent. And this would give us an opportunity to take that off the shelf. And we're hoping that the city and state and federal government would look at this because this is a good way to sort of normalize this situation. And so when you go back to the tips, number one, I think the tips have have been repeated often. It's something that people don't think about. I just did a PSA with a group of over 50 doctors who really believe in our healthcare system. And they gave us three basic tips that I think are very important. Uh, Number one, if you smoke, now's the time to give up on it because respiratory illnesses, uh, those uh, pre-existing conditions could have an impact on your health with coronavirus. Uh, Number two, if you're on some form of medication, adhere to the regimen. It's extremely important now to be strict on that. And number three, something that people don't talk about often But a whole food, plant-based diet, the more fresh fruits, vegetables, beans, uh, grains, uh, nuts that you consume in your body, it is allowing you to be a host that is unfriendly friendly to a virus. It's not going to stop anyone from getting coronavirus, but the stronger your immune system is, the better you are at fighting off any type of virus or any type of uh, illnesses. You know, remember, this is still flu season. Our body, our immune system historically because of the American diet, is extremely compromised. And we're saying those three tips with washing your hands repeatedly, making sure you cover your face anytime uh, you go out and practice social distancing, all of those things combined can give you a good fight against coronavirus. And speaking of the good fight, uh, as you're mentioning, from washing hands, from social distancing, because we're all alone together, Beyond not smoking, beyond taking your medications and eating plant-based, a lot of these are also things that you've seen in communities. And it's very important that we're keeping our health 
to the best possible so that centers that are being um, dedicated to COVID patients like the Javits Center and the USS Comfort can focus on helping us flatten the curve as soon as possible to get the city back to um, what is tomorrow. And so thinking about what's tomorrow, we started out on today's show talking about that an apex is almost here. It seems that flattening the curve is beginning to work. We've seen halfway across the world, similarly, that in Wuhan, China, where the disease originally had its outbreak about 76 days ago, or about 80 or so, that Wuhan just opened up again. They've opened up travel. They're starting to have people going out for tourism with respect, very cautious with masks and businesses are opening. And so my question today is, how can New York flatten the curve faster? Or are we ready perhaps to follow a similar pattern soon to reopen business and community? We are not out of the woods yet. I think that, you know, there's always a benefit of not being the first like Wuhan, China. Uh, We're learning from the things that they did, um, how uh, we could move our city to flatten the curve faster. I believe the combination of what the governor and the mayor are both are doing and all of our frontline employees are doing is really a Herculean task of getting the information out. What we must do is continue to get the information out into the crevices of all of our communities. We need to try uh, to get personal protection equipment to all of our essential employees. And I've said it continuously, there's a great stock outside the country that we can get in the country. We need to utilize those relationships to get them here. And so we can make sure that all of our essential employees have uh, those items that they need to protect themselves, the public, and their families. And then we can do things as everyday New Yorkers. You know, volunteer, find out where your local area to volunteer, deliver food to in a very organized manner within the social distancing rules, deliver food to those seniors you know in your community that shut in, get on the phone and do a check-in call uh, to those seniors, Uh, use technology uh, to do uh, FaceTime and see how seniors are doing, do they need things. So it's about communicating with the most vulnerable population and resources to the most vulnerable population. The numbers state that over 80% of the people who get coronavirus cycle out of it. Uh, 20%, they are the most vulnerable population, and we need to make sure that we're there for them as we deal with this crisis. I cannot agree with you more, and I think there are so many resources out there that we're just discovering today to help all of our vulnerable populations. We've seen even uh, not just in New York City, but the entire United States, all of America has mobilized around Project N95 to ensure that we have masks available for all of our medical workers and healthcare practitioners at all of our major hospitals and institutions. So I think that's one great initiative that we've been seeing where people have been collaborating together across all of our digital and physical divide. Beyond that, I know in New York City, we also have an opportunity that if you're a listener and you'd like to um, contribute to help the city advance its cause against COVID-19, the New York City government does have a fund where you can donate and contribute as well. And that's important because, again, I continue to say not only must we exist within this virus of state in this crisis, but we must exist outside of it. So we can't make the mistakes we made during 9-11 when many of our officers had longstanding 
9-11 related illnesses and we had to fight Congress to get them the basic medical care and needs. We need to make sure right now while this crisis is taking place that our healthcare officials have funds that are set up if there are any long-term impact. We need to make sure that our doctors and nurses uh, that if something wants to wants to happen to them, like we saw, we lost a few healthcare professionals. Even something simple as their student loans is not passed on to uh, their living family members if they were to expire because of this disease. Uh, we need to make sure that you know any employee that is considered essential employee that they too have some form of healthcare package because this could have a long term impact that we're not aware of now. And we don't want to go through that similar struggle we had with our 9-11 officers who had to fight for every inch of health care uh, protection after uh, they came down with some form of illness. You know, I think as we're concluding today's show, we're looking at where we are today in April 2020. And of course, it's difficult to forecast what's next. But, you know, I know as an educator that the digital divide and the in-person divide is something that we can bridge forward together. And whether that's thinking of our children, whether we're thinking of education for our teens we might have in school or in college, or for our family that is, you know, involved on the front lines with healthcare and medical response and emergencies, we're in a new period. We're in a period now, the first time in the last hundred years where all these major holidays are coming up, like Passover and Easter and Ramadan. And it is this new normal. You know, many families this year are not going to be dining at the table together for all these holidays, but they might be on these Zoom and GoToMeeting and Microsoft Team webinars to celebrate. But it's not necessarily celebrating the past, but I think celebrating the future. Eric, what message do you have for our listeners as we're coming up on this holiday season as well? A difficult time and challenging time. And I am encouraging people to use a technology. It's one thing, it's so strange that we're telling people to keep their distance, but at the same time, we're telling each other to be close to each other. And we can still do that. Just as you and I are communicating right now and your listeners are hearing us from across the globe and if not internationally, uh, that is what we're encouraging people to do. I'm going to attend a Seda with a good friend and we're going to do it through Zoom. My family is going to sit down around Easter. We're going to communicate through Skype. Uh, So you don't have to break your traditional bonds of coming together as a family. We just have to be more creative in doing so, so that we can ensure that there'll be many more Seders, many more Passovers, many more Easters that we can enjoy each other. And we do that by following the social distance rules and by following what is needed uh, to ensure that we are all safe and we defeat coronavirus. We, we can get through this. Uh, we are a resilient uh, community, city, and country. Uh, we've had hard times before. And all we have to do is come together and show a level of compassion, commitment, and dedication, uh, not only to each other, but to ourselves. There's a reason when you get on a plane, uh, the airline personnel states that before you put the mask on, someone you're traveling with, put it on your first yourself first during an emergency, because we're no good to anyone if we're not good to ourselves. That is exactly what I think is making us all human and making us all collaborate together. And as we're listening here in April 2020, I'm hopeful the message that as we move into the next few months, uh, there's going to be more collaborations, more teamwork, and we're going to rise together in this new digital transformation. 
Representative Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President. Thank you for being with us today on Humane. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. What do you think? Did the show measure up to your thoughts on artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education? Listeners, I want to hear from you so that I can offer you the most relevant, trend-setting, and educational content on the market. You can reach me directly by email at david at humanepodcast.com. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcasting app, and tune in to more episodes of Humane. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.